my name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Kevin Higo, Hockey Operations with Lethbridge Minor Hockey. Currently helping at the grassroots level, Kevin has numerous experiences in the game, having coached all over Canada and creating connections throughout the hockey world. He has a lot of insight to offer, and this interview only scratches the surface of that hockey knowledge. With that, here is Kevin Higo, Hockey Operations with Lethbridge Minor Hockey. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests for huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. You draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports, and DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app today and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Kevin Higo, Hockey Operations with Lethbridge Minor Hockey. Kevin, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you on. And, uh, you know, we're not too far away from each other here. I'm in Newfoundland. You're uh, you're on the East Coast as well. But I, you know, I've, I've followed along with your career um, for some time, just some of the different experiences you've had. So it's exciting to uh, to get you on the podcast finally and learn more about the, the details of your career. So just starting off, let's uh, let listeners learn a little bit more about you personally. Maybe talk about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and just provide some more background information uh, so listeners can get to know you. Sure. Yeah, I'm born and raised in uh, Lethbridge, Alberta, which is uh, about two hours south of Calgary. Um, spent a uh, majority of my life there as, as a young kid. Uh, was active in, in pretty much everything. Uh, you know, probably at the end of the day, I was a better better soccer player and baseball player than hockey, but uh, I played volleyball, badminton. Um, all those things got into golf as I got a little bit older, but uh, like everybody, you got to a certain point in time when you had to pick a sport, and uh, mom and dad uh, kind of put that down on me at, at a certain age and uh, played hockey. Um, uh, actually, was uh, kind of hit a roadblock when I was uh, 16. I broke my femur. Um, was out of hockey for, for a year or so, and then uh, struggled a little bit, never played AAA midget, um, and then uh, actually made a, made a junior team by kind of the old-fashioned way, wrote a letter to him and uh, asked for a tryout, made the team, and uh, had, a, had a great junior career in Fort McMurray and went on to college and um, was able to uh, parlay that into a professional career in Japan for, for three years. And uh, when, I got, when I was there, I, I started to think about coaching, uh, was lucky and fortunate to, to be around guys like Billy Moores and Dave King and um, was sort of kind of the player coach my last year in Japan. So when I came back and I was done playing, I, I knew I wanted to get into coaching right away. And, and that's what kind of started it all for me in Fort McMurray. 
Yeah, always, um, you know, you, you kind of look to see if um, if hockey and, and, and sports were a part of your life growing up. And it seems like it was that's that was the situation for you. And um, and then, like you said, continuing and playing and kind of getting the bug for coaching and making that transition. Um, you know, a lot of times that's the way it goes. And uh, before we get into maybe the exact coaching experiences that you've had, I just want to touch on your schooling and, and taking sport management at Mount Royal College. Just talk about that decision and, and kind of your experience through that program. Well, I was, you know, back in the, the late 90s, um, you know, I, school wasn't a huge priority for me. I mean, I, I wanted to play hockey and I, and I wanted to play sports. And um, I thought I was going to get a scholarship uh, out of junior A and, and that didn't work out. And then I had a couple options to go uh, play some pro in Germany. I had a contract there and that fell through and then a couple of minor pro deals. And as it went on, I ran out of time and I didn't have anywhere to go. And um, so I went back home and I was working and I uh, was real fortunate to to go to Mount Royal. Uh, I had a couple of buddies that I played junior with that were going there. Um, and the sports sports administration or sports management, uh, whichever it was called, um, was just something that I, I got into. Uh, the guy named Scott Atkinson was the head coach at, at Mount Royal at the time. Um, and you know, you, you hear about it all the time. There was about 45 minutes changed my life. I walked into his office. He had the next two years of my life set up. Um, and next thing you know, school was important to me. And, and uh, you know, I had a 2.45 GPA my first semester. And I was a 50 student my whole life growing up. And, and, and school was a novelty. I hadn't been in it for three years. Um, but it, it was interesting because the the marketing and the, and the PR and, uh, you know, those courses were the ones that really intrigued me. And uh, I thought when I was done that I would use it maybe to work at a, a YMCA, a gym or something like that. But, um, you know, when you coach junior A hockey, you wear, wear a whole bunch of different hats. And next thing I knew, I was, I was thinking about game promotions and selling season tickets and um, all those kind of things, merchandise and, and, and the sports management definitely helped me out that way for sure. Yeah. It's, it's very transferable in that fact. And, uh, you know, like you said, in junior A, it's, you got to have a lot of different uh, skill sets because you, you ultimately do wear a lot of hats, as, as you mentioned there. And uh, moving more forward then into some of the hockey experience and the coaching and management, um, early on you coached at the U18 AAA level. Uh, just talk about that initial experience and then how it set you up to kind of continue coaching moving forward. Yeah, I was, I'd come home from Japan and, and uh, I went down to uh, San Angelo, Texas uh, in the old Western Professional Hockey League. And I uh, just realized I was 27 years old and, and that wasn't what I wanted to be doing anymore. And uh, I decided I, I wasn't going to play anymore. And I uh, came back and uh, I was working. And um, uh, the, the midget AAA or the U18 AAA team at the time was looking for a coach. And so I, I just went out and helped out as much as I could. And, and next thing you knew, I, I took a bigger role and was really enjoying it. And um, at that point in time, I was going through a divorce and, and, and my son was up in Fort McMurray. And uh, I was able to get a job up there. So I actually only coached there for about two and a half months, um, but finished off. We, we took the team to, to Gatineau for, for the big uh, midget AAA tournament in Gatineau. And uh, at the time, we were, we were probably the last place team in Alberta. And we went to Gatineau and, and we got a, to experience teams from all over. Like we played, uh, we played Pictou County, we played Gatineau. Um, we played a team from Ontario. We played the Detroit Little Caesars. And, and next thing you know, we made it to the semifinals. And uh, we lost out to the Saskatoon Contacts, uh, who ended up winning the, the uh, back then, I think it was the TELUS Cup still at that time. 
Um, but right after that, I moved on to uh, to Fort McMurray and, and I started working there and then got the got the job there. But uh, that definitely got the the bug into me. I mean, uh, I remember going to work and you know practice planning all through the day and and trying to figure out what we were going to do. And and with the struggles that the team had, it it made me work even harder as a coach. So I, I thought that was a great learning experience for me. Definitely, definitely. Early on, that can be a great opportunity coaching minor hockey. And uh, even at minor hockey level, you know, you you deal with different things. And, and you know, sometimes you you get into situations with parents and, and depending on the age group, it could be agents and, and teams calling you. And there's a lot of opportunities to learn there as well. And uh, next for you, you would end up going to Fort McMurray and, and working with their junior A team there. Uh, talk about that opportunity and then your progression from assistant coach and eventually to head coach and general manager. Yeah, it was it was a great um, you know stepping stone for me, a great learning tool. Um, you know, I, I was I started as an assistant coach. I was working out at Syncrude, and for all the great Newfoundlanders out there that live in Fort McMurray, uh, I mean, my my shift was six a.m. to two in the morning or two in the afternoon, and I, and I would drive in from site and uh, head straight to the rink. And uh, there were days I was I show up in my coveralls and. Um, right onto the ice. And, and my first year in Fort Mac, we, we knew we were hosting the Royal Bank Cup the next year. And, and we were kind of stuck in between of do we do we build for the next year or, or do we you know try and be competitive? And um, we decided to stay and be competitive. And we, we actually lost, uh, didn't make the playoffs in the last game of the season. Um, and then the next year, uh, we hosted the Royal Bank Cup. And uh, we ended up going on to win that. We had an unbelievable team that year of, uh, of, of great players, great kids. And throughout the year, I was able to take a bigger role. Um, you know, Fran was was working full time at the time, and um, you know he was also the general manager, so he was off recruiting and, and scouting and doing all those kind of things. So I was able to do a lot of practice time. Um, and and to to his credit, he he gave me a great opportunity. I got to sit in on phone calls. I went to league meetings, uh, all those little things that uh, when it was time for me to take over. Uh, it, it actually worked out. I signed my first head coaching contract on a Wednesday and on Thursday, we took off to the league meetings and Friday and Saturday, I was running a scheduling and uh, making trades and doing all those kind of things, but I'd been part of it all for two years. So it was, it was a pretty easy transition for me. For sure. Um, again, sounds like an, another outstanding opportunity for you and junior A experience. Uh, and then being able to, you know, have a opportunity to go to the cop and, and deal with that and, and that learning opportunity um, then transition into more opportunities for you as you continued in the junior game. And uh, maybe next you can touch briefly on the Crows in this past Timberwolves opportunity and then working with that team as their head coach and general manager. Well, it was again, another uh, real good learning experience. I mean, I, I'd never been traded as a player, um, never been fired. And uh, all of a sudden I got fired in Fort McMurray. And I uh, went back to Lethbridge and uh, wasn't sure what I was doing and then got the opportunity to go to, to Crowsness Pass. And it was, you know, I went from um, going from the, you know, the, the richest team in, in the league to the team that had no money. And uh, uh, the first, uh, the, I took over uh, actually on New Year's Day. Um, I finished the year there and then I, I, I did a whole cycle the next year. And partway through that year, we, we knew the team wasn't going to survive. Um, I mean, I was, I was buying the sock tape. I was buying the sticks and uh, checks were kind of bouncing all over the place. And um, we actually had a little set too with the, with the board um, where, where I almost never coached because uh, I wasn't getting paid, but uh, we were able to work something out. We finished the year. And I think when everything's said and done, and I mean, I've been coaching for 20 plus years, that might've been the best year of coaching I ever did. 
Um, we, we didn't have a whole bunch. We started the year one and 10. Uh, we finished the year two games under 500. Um, but, but as the years have gone on, it's been interesting, um, from that team, there's three guys that are coaching it at very high levels. Uh, you know, Neil Graham played on that team as an 18 year old rookie. He's the head coach of the Texas stars in the American hockey league. Uh, Brock Sheehan was a 19 year old defenseman that, uh, just won the, uh, the USHL championship with the Chicago steel. And then Everett Sheen was a 17 year old rookie who coaches Boise, uh, Idaho in the East coast league. And, and I think there's two or three guys that are still playing. Judd Blackwater, I think is still playing. Daryl Boyle still playing. So, uh, it was it was a great experience. I mean, we were in a, in a community with seven thousand people, and we get seven hundred people to the game, so ten percent of the population was there. But uh, we knew it wasn't going to last long. But I had a great time there, and it was it was really good. Uh, like we talked about earlier, wearing a lot of different hats, doing a lot of different roles helped me uh, as I moved on in my coaching career. Definitely, and and with those smaller programs, like you said, a great opportunity to learn. But uh, you really get the feel of a of a junior hockey community, especially uh, you know the tier two, tier three, and uh, you know, 10% of the population in, in a community, that's significant. And, and while it was a small community, you still, um, you know, you feel that support and you're able to go through that opportunity. And then, like you mentioned, um, another players have and staff have kind of gone on to uh, be successful in the game. And, um, you know, the next tenure that you're able to step into is with the Brooks Bandits, uh, you know, a well-known team in the Alberta Junior League. Um, again, working as our head coach and general manager, how, how did this position maybe look a little bit different from your previous experience and uh, maybe just talk about your your overall time in Brooks? Well, at, at that point, Brooks hadn't made the playoffs. Uh, they'd been in the league for, I think it was five years and, and never made the playoffs. And um, like I said, with, with the Crozen's Pass scenario, I, I had negotiated that in order for me to stay on, uh, they, they were allowing me to, to pursue another position. And, and Brooks had fired their coach um, with about, a month and a half left in the season. So I actually met with the, the management and Brooks and a couple other teams while I was still coaching Crowsness Pass. And, uh, you know, kind of the same scenario as, as Fort McMurray. Uh, I, I went to Brooks uh, on a Thursday night. Uh, we negotiated a contract. And um, one of the things that was, was back then, uh, coaches wanted a vehicle. You needed a vehicle as part of your deal. And uh, we, we were locked at heads. They didn't want to give me a vehicle and I needed a vehicle. And uh, it was noon on a, on a Friday that we actually, they showed up with the vehicle and at one o'clock the spring camp started for that team. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I owe a lot to the Smith family there that were part of the founding fathers group for, for the Brooks Bandits. Um, they gave me that opportunity. They'd kind of gone through a turn cycle of coaches almost every year having a new coach. Um, and we went that year, we, we were eligible to return 19 players and at the end of the year, we had three. Um, so it was a lot of trading, a lot of moving players out. Uh, back then, you could make three-way trades, and that was kind of how I was able to get a lot of things done. I was able to bring uh, five or six guys from from Crozen's Pass with me that knew me. I was able to bring in a couple guys from Fort McMurray that I had recruited that were, were 20-year-olds. Um, and we went all the way to the league semifinals for two years in a row. I uh, had a great experience there. And I mean, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm back in Lethbridge. Brooks is only an hour and a half away. I get into Brooks on a regular basis. I watch games and, you know, I think that year was, was probably a year that don't, that doesn't get enough, enough credit for the success that Brooks has. And I think every guy you would talk to on that team is proud of how Brooks has been so successful. But, you know, I, I think at that point in time, they were at a turning point in their, in the franchise where five years in a row haven't made the, 
made the playoffs. We were in a really old barn, a small rink. Um, and, and actually, you know, bringing up players' names, I was watching the World Championships this year, and uh, a guy named Brendan Conley and I was playing for England or Great Britain, I think they were. And, and, and Cons was a, was a 19-year-old that played for us in, in Brooks, and he's still playing. I think he's 36, 37 years old. So uh, that was really good to see as well. Yeah, always great to see the players going on and having success. And, uh, you know, and a lot of people know Brooks as a, as a pretty strong team now. But, of course, with junior programs, it's not always, you know, there's, there's a history there. And you were able to join that program and kind of help it, uh, you know, become more competitive with the help of some of your former players. And, uh, again, very interesting just to, to hear about all the experiences that you had in junior A. And generally when you see success and you're able to go through a couple different teams and, and you know, be competitive, uh, eventually in that region, WHL is, is the next step for you. And for you, that would be the, uh, the move to Moose job. Uh, talk about the, the opportunity to eventually make that jump and then uh, your responsibilities with the Moose Jaw Warriors and, and that organization. Well, I was, you know, you, you sent me that message today saying, you, you know, you kind of got offered an opportunity, a new job. And, uh, you know, I try and tell guys all the time that the hockey world doesn't usually allow you to pick when you want to move. And I had just signed a brand new four-year contract with Brooks and uh, they had drafted a player that we had, we had affiliated in uh, Moose Jaw, sorry, had, had, a, had drafted a player and, and they were calling asking, you know, if things don't work out in, uh, in Moose Jaw, would, would he be able to come to Brooks? And, and then we started talking a little bit more and they were looking for an assistant coach. And uh, next thing I knew, I was in Moose Jaw and I was interviewing for a job. And um, I, I said to my, my wife at the time, Nancy, I, I said, you know, I think I might get this job. And, and now I'm going to have to go back to, to the people in Brooks and tell them that uh, we're moving. And it actually worked out that way. Um, and, and I went to Moose Jaw and, and, you know, we, we had two great years there. And I think have, if anything that I've learned in the game is um, – where, where there's opportunity, there's also timing. And, uh, you know, my two ventures into the major junior, um, both times the guy that hired me got fired into my first year. And uh, it's it's a comfort thing. And, uh, you know, both times I went to major junior, whether it be in Moostar and Cape Breton, I signed two-year contracts. And after my first year, my general manager was fired. And a new general manager came in. And next thing I knew, they were looking for their guy. So I was was able to survive the length of my contracts, but wasn't able to survive anymore from there. But, you know, Moose Jaw was really good for me. Um, my first year, we were a rebuilding team. We had a really young back end. Uh, we had three 16-year-olds. Um, that, 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 was, that was my responsibility was, was to coach the, the defense. And um, it was a challenge that year. And then, and then the next year, we, we made the playoffs. We actually took Calgary, who won the Western Hockey League that year. We took them to seven games in the first round. We were up three games to one on them. You know, if anybody is is part of the Western Hockey League, the difference in the leagues is is quite, or, or the teams is quite different. We were we were back in the old Crush Can at the time, and we had twenty two hundred was our max seating, and uh, we went into Calgary, and that was uh, Flames didn't make the playoffs, um, so and and the the Roughnecks were out, and the Stamps were out, and the Hitmen were the only game in town, and we uh, we split games one and two in Calgary, and there was about ten thousand people at the game. We went back to the Crush Can, we won both games there. We went to Calgary. There were 15,000, went back to the crush can for game six, and there was 22, and then we went back to the Saddle Dome for game seven, and there was sold out 19,000 people, so it was it was pretty cool there. But, you know, Moose Jaw was great for me. I was actually talking to Chad Lang, who was the general manager that hired me in Moose Jaw just today, 
still in contact with him. Our daughter still lives in Moose Jaw. Uh, great people and, and a real good opportunity for me to, to learn the major junior game for sure. Yeah. And, you know, just, just the opportunities, you know, sometimes in, in junior hockey, for various reasons, you have to move teams and change programs. It's, it's kind of the nature of the business, but uh, when you're able to, you know, learn something and, and be competitive, you know, you said that it was a, a tough series against uh, a pretty big team in the WHL and then also build those relationships. Uh, I think that's the making of a great first experience at the CHL level. And, uh, you know, even though you left that position, you still would find yourself in the CHL actually making the move to the Quebec Major Junior League uh, with Cape Breton on the East Coast. So um, how did you kind of find yourself uh, making that move and that opportunity came up and and how did you enjoy your time in Cape Breton? Well, again, a f- opportunity and situations. Uh, my wife was uh, spent her, her quite a bit of her, her childhood in, in Cape Breton. They grew up in Port Hawkesbury. Her, her dad ran the uh, Gulf oil refinery in Port Hawkesbury and then he moved to Fort McMurray and was the uh, vice president of Syncrude, and, and that's where I met her. But we would come back to uh, to Lake Ainsley in Cape Breton, uh, where I'm at right now, and every summer. And um, so when when things went sideways in, in Moose Jaw, we, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And uh, we had kind of set a goal for ourselves that uh, we were, we were going to pursue the major junior thing for about five years. And I thought if if things didn't work out in five years, I would still have the ability to go back to, to junior A and um, and, you know, I kind of put my stamp there on being able to rebuild franchises and uh, won some awards and been part of, you know, did a lot of networking more than anything at the junior A level. So um, we were pursuing some some major junior things both out west. And then I was actually at the Tim Hortons in, in Center 200 and uh, the, the people mixed up the orders. And um, the guy that uh, that got my order was Paul McDonald, who was the president of the, the Screaming Eagles at the time. And we started talking and next thing you know, the, the, you know, the parking lot the Tim Hortons is right in the parking lot of, of center 200. So we went in and we started talking and he's like, you know, we're looking for an assistant coach. And uh, we were actually taking the kids to the fortress of Lewisburg. And uh, so we went out there and started talking back and forth. And next thing you knew, we were, we were signing a contract in Cape Breton and we were moving the kids here and um, funny how things work out, but that's, that's, that's how it worked out and how I came to Cape Breton and, I uh, love my time here. Um, I love being back in the Maritimes and uh, and spending every summer here. This year, because of COVID, we didn't get out as early as we wanted to, but we, we've been here for almost two months now, and, and we'll head back to Alberta on, on August 1st. But it's it's been great and love the time here. I was actually just talking to Johnny Kabuk, uh, who was part of our coaching staff in, in Cape Breton, and, and we were going to golf on Friday, but unfortunately he's not going to be able to make it. But I uh, love coming back and love being part of the the, the Eagles for sure. Yeah, a great region to, to be, but in terms of the hockey team, uh, interesting just, again, how right place, right time, right conversation can lead to an opportunity and, and a place that you enjoy and still enjoy today. And, um, you know, going through your resume and looking at some of the different positions that I talked about today, uh, one of the interesting things I found was your work at the prep school level. And ironically enough, I was on the East this morning with kids who have gone through RNS, and I know you also work with edge schools. So, um, maybe talk about both of those programs and your work there and uh, just the difference in working at the prep level uh, where you've mainly worked at the junior level uh, up until then. Sure. Yeah. Like um, again, when, when things went uh, the way they did in, in, in Cape Breton, I was looking for a job and uh, actually, you know, jumped on the, uh, the hockey minds podcast and saw some of the people and, 
Um, I was fortunate to, to spend some time with the UNB. And so I listened to actually Roger Shannon's, um, you know, podcast and, and Roger's done some work for us with Lethbridge minor hockey, but, uh, how I got the RNS job was, was through Jim Midgley. Um, I had met Jim through, he was an assistant coach with, with the Mooseheads. I did some hockey Nova Scotia stuff when I was out here, met him at the UNBV Reds. We actually, we actually took a team to, uh, the Montreal meltdown. And uh, Midge and I jumped in a vehicle with with Gardner and a couple other guys and drove all the way to Montreal. So I sat beside him the whole time and got to know him. And uh, when when I uh, wasn't getting my contract renewed in Cape Breton, he called and he said, "Listen, I, I was a coach at RNS and they're looking for a coach there. Would you be interested?" And so we drove out there, and my uh, my wife's brother was was uh, running the the Gulf or the Irving Refinery and in St. John and they were living in Rossi. So it was a real easy fix. Uh, my, my wife's sister was, uh, was at the UNB. Uh, she was the, the Dean of education there. So it was easy for us to just make that move. So, uh, when I went to Rossi, it was, it was an eye opener. I mean, it was, uh, I like to say it's, it was like, it was like Hogwarts. Uh, you know, we were here, we were in an Ivy league school, uh, basically, you know, kids were in uniforms, we had chapel every morning. I uh, was was really fortunate to have have Paul Kitchen uh, was the headmaster at the time and and Paul was a great guy and and they really struggled the year before and I think part of the reason why I was able to get that position was was what I had done previously at Junior A and turned some franchises around and and, and uh, had some success and you know Paul and I did a lot of talking before we actually got the job and I said to said to Nancy my wife I said this is a more extensive interview than I, I've ever had a jun- major junior or junior A. And, um, at the end of it, I, we were driving back from, uh, um, from, uh, Collingwood where my wife's family is from. And, uh, Paul called and offered me the job and I was driving with my father-in-law and he's like, yeah, you got to take it. Like, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for you. So we went there and it was, it was a really challenging year in the sense that, um, you know, it was, it was so education based and I wasn't used to that. Um, you know, our, our kids were up in the morning and, and spent from whatever it was, 8 a.m. to 4. Uh, they got about half an hour, maybe an hour of a break, and then right into activities. Um, so we only had about an hour a day with them for hockey. Uh, but we ended up playing, I think we played 72 games that year. We went to Chicago. Uh, we went to Calgary. We went to Boston two or three times. We went to Lake Placid. And I was really fortunate to have a great team there. And, and I mean, we we recruited really hard. We had... Uh, we had Mitch Vanderland, who who was from just outside of Fredericton, who ended up going to Cornell. Uh, he was he was on our team, and and I think we had uh, you know Will Thompson ended up being a first round pick that year in the queue, and Jake Barger played in the queue, and Ross McDougall played in the queue. We we had a whole whack of guys. Uh, Jordan Boyd uh, was on that team, um, and and it was it was a great experience. I really liked it, um, but it just for me at that time it was there wasn't enough hockey. And, um, so we, we started to explore some other opportunities. And when we left, uh, when we decided we were leaving, uh, RNS and, and I had a, you know, the hard conversation and I try and tell all of our coaches all the time that one of the, the toughest things about the game is, is you have to make hard decisions and you have to have hard conversations. And, you know, I, I had to sit down with Paul Kitchen, who again was, was a, a great guy and, 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 you know, was real instrumental in the success of that program. And tell him that I, I was leaving, and it was nothing that he was he'd done or the program. It was just we we just weren't comfortable with where we were at, and and uh, so I had explored some opportunities, uh, interviewed for a major junior job, interviewed for a junior A job, and um, and then the edge came up through a connection of uh, 
another Fort McMurray guy, Andrew Boudelier, who's actually from uh, Glace Bay. And uh, Boots called and said, I heard you're coming back out west. Would you be interested in, in going to Calgary or coming to the edge? So I actually flew into Regina, interviewed for an SGHL job, got that job, went back to Regina, flew to Calgary, interviewed for the edge job, got that job, drove to a major junior job, um, got that job. Uh, but at the end of it, we thought the edge was the best scenario for us. Went there, uh, coached the 15-year-old team there. We, we had Jake Bean, who plays for the Carolina Hurricanes on, on that team. Um, awesome experience, really good time. And then we thought that was going to be our retirement job. And, and then, you know, opportunity knocked a year later. And next thing you know, I was leaving again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you never really know where the road's going to take you. And I think prep school is like you, you mentioned a little bit different. Uh, you know, there's a, a huge educational component. So it's not always hockey, which for some people can be an adjustment as you hinted at. And, uh, you know, that school, you're able to find success there. And then, as you said, opportunity comes knocking. And I guess the next tenure would be with Grand Prairie, uh, you know, working at the AJHL level again. Uh, how was it different this time around? And, you know, having your your CHL experiences in Moose Jaw and Cape Breton, how was your approach personally a little bit different this time around? Well, it was, again, like I said, uh, you know, in, in Rossi, it was it was all school. Or I shouldn't say all school. I mean, it was, it was the focus was on school. A lot of the kids were in the IB program and, um, and then we went to the edge and it was all like so focused on athletics. Um, and, and we really enjoyed that. We were back in, in Western Canada and Southern Alberta and we, we thought we were going to be there. And then, you know, just again, the, the connections, the, um, the people that you meet, uh, a guy named uh, Rick Nordstrom gave me a call and said, listen, we're, we're looking at making a change in, in, in Grand Prairie. Would you be interested? And, and uh, I said, you know what, Rick, I'm not interested. Uh, we're, we're, in, we're in Calgary. We're pretty comfortable here. Um, you know, I, Fran Gao, who I coached with in Fort McMurray my first year ever coaching, was also coaching at the school. Scotty Atkinson, who, who coached me at Mount Royal, uh, was also coaching at the school. Um, we were comfortable. It was a great situation. He said, well, just drive up to Red Deer and meet me in Red Deer and, and we'll have a conversation. So I drove up there and you know, one beer led to two beers and two beers led to three beers. And next thing you knew, it was, there was a, a contract negotiation going on. And, uh, you know, we came back home and we said, we're, we're not going, we're going to stay in, in, in Calgary, went up to, to Grand Prairie and started talking more and more. And, uh, it just worked out that way, but it, it completely different. The game had changed so much at the junior A level. Um, you know, I talked about it in Brooks of being able to do three-way trades. You're not allowed to do those in junior A anymore. Um, just the recruiting was different. Uh, when I went to, you know, when I left the AJHL Grand Prairie was a very financially sound organization. It, it was getting 3000 people a game. Uh, there was a whole bunch of good positive things going there. And when I got there this, this time, uh, they were struggling and, uh, I didn't know how bad they were struggling financially, um, to the point where partway through my first year, we had a save the storm campaign and, you know, we were struggling to pay bills and um, it was tough to, you know, whether I was going to get a paycheck on a regular basis. And and that changed uh, and that was different. It was a lot harder to convince kids to be four and a half hours away from Edmonton and Grand Prairie where there wasn't money compared to the way it used to be. Um, and the league had grown and the league had changed. There was a, there was a bit of a turnover. Uh, the powers to be, you know, all of a sudden the Spruce Groves and the Brooks and, and those guys were the powers. And, um, so, th so that was a real challenge. But 
you know, one of the things we, we talked about earlier was, was the Mount Royal thing. And, and, you know, in Grand Prairie, I had to do a lot of, I was meeting with the chamber of Converse. I was, you know, meeting with sponsors, season ticket holders, trying to get as much um, interest back in the club. And, and I think, you know, when, when I didn't return back to Grand Prairie that third year or partway through the third year, I really took a deep dive into the time that I was there. And, and I think, I, I, my opinion of, of breaking it down was I, I spent more time be doing other things than coaching. And uh, I think if I would have been able to spend more time coaching, I, I, we might have had more success. But I was, like I said, I was at a Chamber of Commerce meeting. I was a season ticket holders meeting. I was meeting with the mayor, meeting with this, that, and everything, trying to keep the team afloat and, and didn't get to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do or I was there to do, and that was to be the coach and the manager of the team. Yeah, when you know when a when a team goes through a situation like that, and uh, whether struggling financially or support or whatever the case may be, uh, again takes you in different directions trying to you know do your part. But uh, you know whenever it takes away from the the job you're trying to do on the ice as a coach, it's uh, it's very tough. And uh, you know following that opportunity again, you'd find yourself in, a, in another situation this time at the university level with the University of Lethbridge. Uh, you know, working with some older players, maybe some former uh, major junior players and, and players of that level. Uh, just what was that opportunity like for you? And um, again, did it maybe change your approach having maybe more experienced players or players who had consistently played at a higher level to that to that time? Yeah, you know, I, I had a great time at the U of L. Um, again, another scenario. I was I was working for the for the Lethbridge minor hockey and um, Spiros, who's also been on the, on the podcast uh, approached me and he, he just gave me a call and said, Hey, would you mind going for a coffee? And would you be interested in, uh, in an assistant coaching position? So I said, sure. Yeah, I'll come for coffee. And I think we both showed up thinking it wasn't going to work. I had a full-time job. He, he just didn't think it was going to work out with my, my, you know, being a head coach all the time. And after the meeting, we, I said, Hey, let's, let's give this a shot. And, um, you know, we, we, I was fortunate again, I had a back end. Uh, I ran the defense there. I think we had five or six academic, all Canadians on that team. Um, you know, majority of them were major junior guys. Um, and one of the things I learned real early was I, I, I met with the group and, uh, I learned this when I was in Moose Jaw and when I was in Cape Breton, I did the same thing. And, um, I, I, I'd been to a couple coaching conferences where, you know, Craig Hartsburg ran a coaching conference one year and he said, the most important thing if you're running the D is, is to create a unity group, a unified group and, and, and make them have an identity. So in Moose Jaw, I really dove into that and same thing in Cape Breton. And so I did that in, 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 at UofL. And one of the things I asked them was, you know, where is hockey on your, on your priority list? Like we had guys that were, you know, studying to be doctors and, and businessmen and, and every one of them said, well, hockey's not at the top of my list, but when I come to the rink, I, I, I want to be pushed. I want to be challenged. And I, and I said, perfect. And uh, they were such an intelligent group that I challenged them on a regular basis. And, and I mean, we, were, we, did, we didn't make the playoffs, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed going to the rink every day there. And, and it was great for me to work with Spiros. Like he was, he was so full of energy and so full of enthusiasm that I think me being there helped him as well. And, and, you know, Spiros and I text all the time. And um, I, I think he's, he's a guy that has so much passion for the game that that fed off me and, and it made me want to coach, even though we weren't winning all the time. And, and it was a struggle sometimes. And we had just an unbelievable amount of injuries that year that it was heartening. Like there were practices. We only had 10, 12 guys. 
Um, but we kept it fresh and, and the guys had a great time. And then, you know, unfortunately the program disbanded there as well. But, uh, you know, I, one of our, well, actually we, we just hired a Lethbridge minor hockey for our U8 or U15 AA um, team. It, it's, it's all full of Lethbridge pronghorns that played for, played for us there of uh, Mitch Maxwell, Russ Maxwell, Brooks Maxwell, and Dalton Sword are all coming back to coach. And, and I think that's awesome. And that's probably part of the relationship I built with them back then too. Yeah, it's great when you know when you get player support at that level, and uh, you know Leth, uh, Lethbridge seemed like a great opportunity for you, the University of Lethbridge, and uh, you know Sparrow's a, a great coach and someone that has been involved in in the podcast, uh, as you likely know, and uh, you know just a great hockey mind to learn from, and an even better person. So very uh, great to hear that that opportunity went well for you, and you kind of stuck around Lethbridge then, and would eventually work with minor hockey. Um, maybe walk us through a week in your position or, or just some of the tasks that you do in the run of a season and uh, maybe just give people some more information into uh, that part of your career. Again, I mean, it was a scenario where um, it just kind of came about. I, uh, our general manager for Lethbridge Minor Hockey is, is a guy named Keith Hitchcock. Um, and I was actually doing a presentation to the, to the midget AAA team um, in Lethbridge um, about junior A opportunities. And, uh, you know, a guy I grew up with was coaching the team at the time. And he asked if I would come and talk to him and his players. So I did. And, and Hitch was there and he said, well, what, what are your plans now that you're not going back to Grand Prairie? And I said, well, we're going to stick around here, see what happens. And, and he said, well, I'll, could you come work for, for minor hockey? And, and I asked him, I said, well, what, what does the job entail? And he's, we didn't really have a job description. We didn't have a title for it. He just said he, he knew he needed some help. So we started to build the job description as we went along and it started out being uh i did the uh the exit interviews uh for the coaches and then i did the interviews for the, the new coaches coming in and then it just grew for there so i mean i like the game of hockey or a lot of times I, I can have a day where i might only work two hours a day and then i have a day where i might work 22 hours a day um so it changes um you know like today i, I spent time uh talking to our U18 AAA coach about his exhibition. You know, they're going to go to a tournament in Okotoks, and then we're trying to get him a couple more. Um, you know, talk to uh, our, our U15 AAA coach about uh, their tryout process, what's going to be allowed, what's not going to be allowed. Last year, we, we didn't have – we had to do social distancing or physical distancing tryouts. So, we, you know, this is going to be completely different. Um, but it's, it's dealing with the coaches on a regular basis. It, it, we really wanted to focus on coach development. Um, so, you know, in our elite stream, at least once a month, we will meet on a Monday. Uh, we'll have guest speakers. Um, we'll have interaction. Uh, one of the things that I think we've, we've done a great job with is we've, we've mingled the coaches. Uh, when I first got there, it was, it was kind of like the junior high dance. You know, everybody stayed in their own pockets. Um, and now we'll have a meeting and, and, you know, the U18 AAA coach will be sitting with the U15 AA coach and the U13 AA coach will be sitting and, and they've got to know each other and share ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's important. Um, I try to go on the road as much as possible, at least, you know, a couple of trips a year with the guys just to, just to see what's going on, be a, another set of eyes. Um, we, we do have to deal with parents on a regular basis. And, and you know, I want to be there for our coaches, but I also need to see both sides of the story if something happens. Um, one of the coolest things that I've, I've done since I've been back in Lethbridge is, is I went to Hitch and I, I said, uh, you know, I have to stay current. I, I, I want to know what the, the coaches are talking about at the higher levels. 
Uh, so I went out to Moose Jaw with, with, with some contacts that I had there. And, and I spent three days there when Tim Hunter was the coach with the Moose Jaw Warriors and got to be in the dressing room before and after practice and on the ice. And then I went down to Boise, Idaho, uh, where Neil Graham and Everett Sheen were coaching and, and got to be in, in the dressing room and on the pregame skate and practices. Um, got a whole whole new impression of, of the East Coast League and the players there and got to, got to meet a lot of the players there. Uh, and then I went out to Salmon Arm where Scotty Atkinson was coaching at the time and spent, uh, you know, a week there. Um, I've talked to a lot of coaches at higher levels. Uh, we started what we call the coach or the, the captain's club now where we're getting former captains of, of teams at higher levels or in, in different sports coming back and talking to our captains of our AAA and AA. Um, you know, I, I try to get out to Fredericton uh, and go to the UNB V-Reds camp um, on a regular basis, but Networking is such an important part of it, but you know, the, the, the minor hockey day, um, it can start at 8am and some days it might not start till noon, just depends on, on the day. Yeah. And I think that's the, uh, the hockey industry in, in general, as you know, but, um, it sounds like a very unique opportunity and, and a couple of guests, um, in situations kind of similar to that or, or something flexible have also kind of looked to, uh, you know, to maybe, be a guest coach in some of these different programs or just go to the dressing room and experience different levels. And I think it's a great thing that um, definitely something I'll be looking to do in the future, but I think others would, uh, would say the same. And, you know, having gone through a lot of the opportunities that you've had many as a coach and, and many of them as a manager, uh, you know, in, in the past 20 years, the game has changed a lot, uh, both on and off the ice from a manager and coaching perspective. What are the biggest changes that you have seen in those roles in particular? Well, I think you're right away, the, the relationship with the players. Um, you know, you, the, the players are different now, um, and not in a bad way. They, they've just changed. And uh, your relationship with the players is, has completely changed um, how, you, how you talk to them, how you relate to them, your, the way you communicate with them. Um, and that's, that's all the way down to, you know, U13, probably up to pro level now. Um, from a managerial standpoint, like, you know, I, I, I try and relay things. I, I don't want to, you know, tell people how old I am, but, you know, it was all phone calls and faxing back then. And now everything's texting. And you, you mentioned how has it changed. You know, when I when I left the Junior A world in Brooks, we just started to text. And, uh, you know, our league meetings were, were a weekend uh, where you, you golfed, you hung out with the other coaches, you had a relationship. And then I got back to Grand Prairie. And I didn't know, I didn't talk to some of those coaches all year long. I just texted with them or sent emails or whatever. Um, so, so that's different too. And, and you have to adapt with it. And, you know, I mentioned Tim Hunter and, and when I was in Moose Jaw with him there, he, he made a statement that, that stuck to me for a while now. And he said, you know, the game used to change every five years. He said, but now it's constantly changing. And if you don't adjust and adapt to it, um, you're, you're going to get left behind. And I think that's one of the most refreshing things. Like when I, when I go to the UNB camp, you know, you, when you go into Gardner's office, you know, it's not going to change. It's going to be the same, but he's done such an unbelievable job of adapting to the game and the players and, and how the game's played and, and how the players interact and, and the communication they need. But I think that's a prime example of, of the way the game, and, and I think maybe evolve is, is probably a different word than change. And, and I think that's the way it is, is the game just keeps evolving and, and going in different directions. And, and it's interesting to, to follow it. And, and it's interesting to be a part of it because it challenges you all the time. 
Yeah, and that you know that challenge definitely fuels you to continue as well. But the game, like you said, has evolved, and that's always great to uh, to see. And hopefully, it continues to evolve in in a positive direction. And you, you talk about how the relationship with the players uh, kind of changes, and uh, you know, throughout the, your career, you've worked with a number of different players, and and a couple that I I noted were Travis Hamonic and Will Carrier, two guys that made the NHL uh, level. Just from working with those guys at a young age, um, was there something that you saw from them right away that hinted they could be NHL players? And uh, just for those and others that were successful later in their careers, what were some early indicators of uh, of a next level ability? Well, I, I think they were different, um, completely different players for sure. Will was was a seventeen year old rookie, um, and but he, he was just so physically mature. Like I watch him with with the, the Golden Knights now and. That's how he was back then. He was just a bull in a china shop. and But he came to Cape Breton, and he, and he had an older brother um, that was also there. And he was a really outgoing kid, and Will was really quiet, um, soft-spoken. Um, so he didn't really talk a lot. And then the next year, his brother didn't make the team, and Will stayed. And uh, I think that was that was huge for him. But one of the things that and, – and Travis, you know, just I'll get on both of them, but – Travis was at a completely different time. He was uh, he was just starting to get the the notoriety. He'd been drafted. He was getting world junior attention, um, but he he was so driven. Like he he wanted to get better, and I think that was the biggest thing with both of them is that they wanted that extra time on the ice. And uh, the the second year in Moostra, we had we had Quentin Howden and Dylan McElrath that were both first round NHL picks. And it was, we, we had Ryan Stanton who ended up playing a little bit in the NHL. Kendall McFall got drafted. Joel Edmondson was there. You know, Morgan Riley, we had drafted him there. The, the, the better guys all wanted to spend time after practice on the ice. And, uh, you know, Travis wanted to work on, you know, puck retrievals and he had a good shot, but he, he wanted to be more offensive. And, and, uh, but when, it, when the, the Islanders came to Moose Jaw, their big thing was they wanted to work on his defensive game. And so you, you watch him now in the NHL and he's a shutdown guy. And and that was, you know, how he evolved. And Will Carrier, when when we had him in, in Cape Breton, he was, you know, he's playing on our first line as a 16-year-old, playing on our first line as a 17-year-old. And then you watch him and, and that just shows you how good the NHL is. Like he's he's a fourth-line guy in, in Vegas that, you know, plays maybe 10 minutes a game, but he's he's a huge part of it and he's physical and he, and he grinds it out. But – both those guys were so driven and wanted to be pro players. I, I think that was that was one of the things that stood out for them for sure. Yeah, just being driven is is really key in, in any player's development if they want to be uh, you know capable of making that next level. And you can have as much skill as you want, but without that drive, it uh, you know it, it's not possible. And uh, you know you said you said that they wanted to always spend those extra hours and look for new ways to get better and, and continually develop and. For a lot of coaches who are kind of looking to do that, you know, you can go on the ice and learn from people as much as you want, but sometimes you have to look for resources and whether it's books, articles, podcasts, uh, conferences, all these different things, um, there's a lot of different resources out there. So for you personally, what are maybe some of the things that you reference or specific resources that you like that you might suggest to listeners on the podcast? You know, I, I think uh, get out there, make communication. You know, I... Uh... Um, Keith Hitchcock, who is our general manager, um, his brother is Ken Hitchcock and, and I've had the opportunity to talk to Ken a couple of times and, you know, we've talked about cold calls of, of just calling people. Um, 
you know, I think time management is huge. You, you know, when, when you coach in places like Cape Breton and Fort McMurray and Grand Prairie, you're on the bus a lot. And, and as a younger guy, I, I maybe didn't use that bus time as much. And then as I got older, I started to read more and take advantage of the sleep and those kind of things. But I think the most important thing is, 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 is talking to people and learning. Um, you know, I think reading is, is great. But to be able to talk to somebody, whether it be a, a Roger Shannon or or a Gar McDougall or, or whoever it might be, um, and, and pick their brain and, and just sit down and talk to guys and, and try and find out, you know, what they they do, what they learn, um, how they get better, those kind of things. Um, and I'm not saying don't read books. I, I think that's uh, that's it's real important as well. But I think the most important thing is is to to build communication and learn directly from people. Yeah. Learning, learning from those people is, is ultimately the best way. And you can, uh, you know, you learn a lot from people's experiences and throughout your whole career. And, and as others have mentioned uh, throughout the time on the podcast, you know, every step of the way you're meeting people who go a long way in helping you develop or, or show you the ropes or, or lead you to your next position, whatever the case may be. Uh, for you personally, maybe just once again, go over some of those people who have had an impact on your career and uh, some of the things that they have taught you collectively. Well, I think right from the beginning, I mean, when I got my coaching start from a guy named Fran Gao. Um, Fran is the vice president of, of the AJHL. Um, we've stayed close. We won a national championship together. Um, you know, we, uh, he gave me my first opportunity and, and, allowed me to grow as a coach and, and now we we talk all the time um i i don't really think i would have what you would call a mentor um i, I try and reach out to as many people as as possible like you know i mentioned neil graham who's you know played two years for me as an 18 and a 19 year old um and now he's coaching at the, the american hockey league level and uh you know i was talking to Everett sheen today about setting up a golf game i can learn from those guys you know those guys are, are guys that i coached but they're guys that have, are, are climbing the ladder. Brock Sheehan, you know, he, he was a guy that we had for one year, been able to stay in contact with him. He, he did a, a skill development Zoom call for our, our coaches. Um, and just to be able to learn from those guys, I think, is, is important. And I think that's, that's what I would, you know, pass on to, to any of the coaches that, uh, that want to get better is don't be afraid to ask a question. And, uh, you know, you might not always – be able to gather everything that that get, gets passed on but if you can pick one or two things out and you can add it to your repertoire of coaching and um, like I mentioned earlier on when I was in in Japan I, I got to spend some time with Claire Drake and Dave King and um, you know they talked a lot about hockey or coaching is is you know you beg borrow and steal and, and then you turn it into your own and I think that's that's something that I've I've learned is you know, when I when I go to a camp, and, and whether it be out, he, out east or out west, I try and pick out something, and, and whether it be a drill or, or whether it be a structure or, or something like that, and how can I turn that into into my program? How can I use that for my team? Um, you know, and, and then just communicate with people and, and watching them. I think as you get older, you probably talk less and, and listen more, and I think that was that was told to me at a, at a younger age. And I think as I've, as I've moved on, I think I, I do that a lot more. I, I like to go into rooms, listen, um, watch, see how people act, um, how they interact. And, and I think that's where I've gotten a lot of the, the thought process of communicating with the kids. Um, I mean, we have four kids of our own, so I have to deal with the dealing with kids as well. But, uh, 
I think that's 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 so important of, of being a coach now. I mean, you you see all these guys getting hired now, and it's usually the the biggest thing is the, their communication skills, how they communicate with their players and and get get through to them. Yeah, uh, I think the communication aspect will always be key. And, uh, you know, some great advice that you offered there and, and also the mentors and, and people that you learn from. It just goes to show that in your career, you've had uh, tremendous support, but also the initiative to to make it on your own and learn as you go. So with that, Kevin, I just want to thank you again for taking some time to join me on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoy the conversation and listening to your perspective, especially with the minor hockey ties here lately. And, um, you know, I hope everything continues to go well for you. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Thanks. It's uh, been a pleasure to be on. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, Definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for the casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Kevin for joining me on the podcast and talking about his various stops in the game. Kevin is an outstanding coach and his ability to have success at nearly all levels that he's worked shows his commitment to the craft and his players. If you would like to get in touch with Kevin to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Glenn Stanford, president of the Newfoundland Growlers. Glenn was actually the first hockey mind I connected with before I decided to try and work in the game of hockey, so I'm a stack to have him on to share his story and bring the podcast full circle for episode 100. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for continually listening to the podcast, and be sure to check out our social media platforms as well as our website for more content moving forward. As always, stay safe, and all the best. <laughs>